This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here was our goal if we were saying we had a six-week journey. Our goal at the beginning of the journey, if you were here week one, if you weren't, I'm going to tell you what the, the, the goal was. The goal was this, is that we get to a place where we have recognition. We begin to recognize who God is, our Father, that he's king, that he is to be hallowed. His name is to be made great. And so we wanted to increase our awareness our recognition of who he is. And then from there, that moved us into a place where we begin to surrender based on who he is. That's where we get into your kingdom come, your will be done, that we are a participant in your kingdom. And so therefore, I can't have the kingdom without the king. And so we got to this place where we began to say, okay, I'm going to pray surrender. I'm going to pray submission. And then we moved into, we're going to pray into dependence, that God, everything, I'm going to pray like everything depends on you. Even down to our basic necessities, daily bread. But God, it's not just the big things that need your presence, your attention. But God, it's even in the small things. So every day, I'm going to hit the floor running knowing that God, anything and everything that happens today is dependent on you. And so I'm going to lean into that. Then we kind of exit this prayer with the spirit of obedience starting with how we forgive one another. That if we've received forgiveness, then we become distributors of forgiveness. And we're going to step right back into one more level of obedience that I know is going to hit everybody in here today. That if you haven't already dealt with it, you'll deal with it by lunch. You'll deal with it by dinner for sure. If that's not long enough, you'll definitely have dealt with it by the time you go to bed. Growing up, uh, especially in my college years, I was a bit of a, and this is really an understatement, I was a bit of a lazy student. My college career, and I call it a career because it took way longer than normal and way longer than it should have, it really became kind of a career because I just kind of took my time, uh, but I was a lazy student, and uh, the thing that I kind of majored in for the first few years of college was this. I, call, I, I majored in good times and girls, and I'm going to tell you, I was magna cum laude at that. My friend Judd was sumna, but man, we would use Monday through Thursday to get ready for Friday through Sunday. It was living for the weekend, and man, we were counting down the days, and we were talking it up in in our dorm rooms and in our apartment when we moved out, but man, we were just all about having fun. Now, here's the problem with that. My grades will say they weren't the best. They weren't the bottom. They weren't tanking. I was doing just enough to get by. So I spent a lot of time looking for shortcuts, quick fixes. I would procrastinate to the end. I was the king of footnotes. In fact, Lori's going to roll her eyes uh, at this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, we took a class together. Mistake. But we took a class together, and it was like a English literature class that required some short readings, some long readings, and uh, I already told you I'm lazy, and so reading doesn't fit in with this very well. So I would use our dinner time when we'd go out on a date. I would use it in a descriptive kind of way where I'd go, you know, this book we're reading, what do you think? <laughs> so she'd go, oh, it's, and she would tell me all about the book. And I would go in to an essay test and like BS my way through what my wife just told me about the book. And we'd get our grades back and she'd get an A and I'd get a B. And then I would tell her like, I didn't read that book, but thanks for like telling me all about it on the date. And that was me. 
And so I would feel, I've changed, okay, so don't judge. We are a community of imperfect people. But that was really my first three or so years of college. I spent a lot of time looking, and I would take any advantage I could find except studying like I should. Then I had an awakening, a.k.a. I got caught. But awakening sounds better, doesn't it? Sounds more spiritual. But I had an awakening. There was a class taught by a guy named Dr. Hester. And if you don't know anything about where I went, I went to like a little liberal arts college, and I'm using the word liberal very, very loosely. Um, But I went to this little college, and Dr. Hester was on staff, and he was quirky, and he was a little bitty guy, and and he would do what I felt like was just these, these meaningless quizzes and tests and these notebooks that didn't make sense. It was almost like he would just like go to the office and pull things and stick it in a notebook and go, hey, here's your class notebook, and you're going, what does this have to do with anything? He doesn't, but I thought you would enjoy it, and I thought you would like it, and I'm going, no, just give me what I need. And so anyway, we had a pop quiz one day, one of these quizzes that I wasn't ready for, but the person beside me was. And here's how you know. Anybody that can fly through a a quiz, typically it's like, yes, okay, I know this, know this, know this. So she finished very quickly and just kind of slid it up to the top of the the desk, the table. We were sharing this table. She didn't pass me a note. I didn't even lean. But she had used a bright blue pen, which might as well have been neon for me. So I see this kind of flashing off the page. So I kind of just cut my eyes and went to work. I'm like, here we go. So I turn it in, felt good about the morning. I'm leaving class after the lecture, and I get right, and, and, and it's like he knew, like I'm going to wait. So I get right to the door, like I'm halfway in, halfway out. Mr. Shepard, do you mind sticking around for a second? And I thought, you know, he's going to ask me to teach class next week. Um, <laughs> so I said, sure. So everybody leaves, and he goes, you know you're going to get a zero for today, right? I said, why? He said, I saw you looking. I said, no, I wasn't looking. I was, I was just reflecting. I was meditating, looking for answers. And he goes on to say, no, I know. I know that it's been happening for a while. I said, but it wasn't like she passed me a note. I, I, I didn't even lean. He goes, here's the problem. He said, just because a bird flies over your head doesn't mean you have to allow it to make nest in your hair. I mean, what's that got to do with the quiz? He said, you go think about it. Just because a bird flies over your head doesn't mean you got to let it take nest in your hair. And this is what Jesus says as he kind of ends this prayer. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Guys, temptation is the world's oldest problem. Adam and Eve dealt with it. You remember that moment in the garden when everything became broken in an instant. Temptation has been around and and it continues to linger around. I told you everybody in here is going to deal with this and here's why I know because every single one of us has weaknesses. It may be your temper. And you know, here comes that bird over the head and you've let it roost there before and, and, and it may be your temper. It may be that, you know what, you have this urge, this impulse to spend too much, to eat too much, to look too much or too long. I know these things because I deal with these things. There are things in my personal life where it's almost like I I know that if I take one step closer that it's going to be harder to return from. 
And temptation begins. It's almost like in these moments, I, I have these, 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 I know better. I have these discussions in my head that says, don't, don't even go. And I look too long. I spend too much. I eat too much. And I don't know what it is for you, but I know that there are places that you have weaknesses. And there are areas of life, there's arenas of life where we need help controlling those things. And the good news is, and this is how Jesus concludes this prayer, I think he hits us in the most personal, the most, the most destructive place. He says, listen, I know that you're going, to have, you're going to have moments where you can't control these things. I got good news for you is that you have a God who wants to help you gain control of these things. He wants to help you gain control in these areas. He wants you to overcome those things. Paul later reveals a promise of God, from God to us. And so he's talking to these people in Corinthians. And so here's what he says in Corinthians chapter 10. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So it's a warning. Then he's going he's to reveal to us out of this warning, he's going to reveal to us a promise. He says that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. He says there's nothing you're going to deal with that's not common, and we're going to see this full play at the end, that is common to those who are human, who are alive. And then he goes on to say that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Another version says beyond having the power to resist. See, there's the promise. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it, so that you can overcome it, so that you can survive it. And I love this because it's not just a promise. It's a great promise. It's a promise that in the midst of, of him telling us that, listen, be careful, be on alert and lest you fall, he says, but there's good news is that God is in the middle of this and there is freedom in that. God says you can come it, overcome it regardless of what it is. There's no temptation, there's no category, there's no arena that you are going to struggle with that is not common to humankind. He says, look around. Everybody's dealing with these things that God has given us or he will give us in the right moment. He is going to give us exactly what we need in the moment, to overcome these things. See, we don't get to say, well, I just found myself in a, in a situation and I didn't really have a choice. No, God says you always have a choice. And it's going to require partnership. God's going to do some things and we're going to do some things. And so as we kind of draw this series to a conclusion, here's what I want you to see. Is that with common temptation comes common solution. These are really common sense things that I'm going to mention to you today. They're practical things, and you can jot them down and take them with you. And when that moment creeps in this afternoon or tomorrow or whenever it might come, you're going to say, okay, i got to go through common temptation requires common solution. So here it is. First, got to let him lead. I love the text. He says, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. I want you to know it's okay to ask God for help. God, I need you to take the lead. He says, lead us. See, there's a statement of request in here, but there's also a statement of submission in here. This whole deliver us is a statement of request. God, I need you to deliver me. God, I need you to protect me. I need you to rescue me. But there's also a statement of submission that, God, I need you to lead me. Lead us not. It's this moment where you say, God, you take the lead. And if you're like me, 
I end up where I end up because I follow the wrong leader. There's so many places that I end up because I didn't follow the right leader. It was in those moments where I read, lead us, and I think that says lead me. Jason, you take the lead. And I end up in some places, and, and I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm good at leading to bad places. Chase and Mandy and I, we got an eight-hour ride back, and I just told them. I said, guys, I have been notorious through the years. I've been really good at leading myself to bad places. And, and, and Jesus says, if you want to begin to deal with and have victory over and, and have, have overcome these moments, he says, then take a look who's leading and ask him to help. Lead us not into temptation. So overcoming temptations starts with changing who's in charge. Again, we've already laid the groundwork for this, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. These moments of submission leading to moments of dependency, understanding who he is. Now all of a sudden we get to the place where we go, listen, I'm going to deal with a lot of stuff that is earthly and it's, it's, it's human and it's, it's bad and it leads to all sorts of things. He says, make sure you know who's in charge. Follow the right leader. God's never going to lead you into a place that he's not prepared to deliver you from. Make that request. Declare him leader. I love what the psalmist says. He says, listen, it doesn't take anything long and drawn out. In Psalm 50, he says, the Lord says, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. And I love that the psalmist points out, and Jesus points out, that this can happen on the spot. This can happen in these moments that, that prayer doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing to be effective. The psalmist says it's as easy as this, Lord, help me. I'm about to step into an arena that I know my mind is already going down that path. Lord, help me. Lord, stop me. Lord, lead me. It's that moment where you say, God, I need you to take the lead because I'm entering into some deep water, and I know if it gets any deeper, man, I'm not going to be able to swim back. And the psalmist just says, in that moment, just stop where you're at and say, listen, Lord, I'm going to call on you to help me, to lead me. I love that the Bible, I love the Bible so real in the sense that it shows us people's bad sides. Guys, the Bible's full of men and women who, who not just were tempted, but many times fell to temptation. It's full of people who cried out in the midst of, of their moments, God, I need your help. I think of guys like David, and Daniel, Peter, and Paul. I love the fact that even Jesus was tempted like I'm tempted. We see that unfold right before we even get to the prayer that there was this moment he's out in the wilderness and Satan comes to him and begins to tempt him with things that are common to all humankind. That even in those moments, Jesus leaned into what he was going to tell us to lean into and just a few chapters away, he leaned into the Father. Lord, I need you in this moment. Lord, help me overcome in this moment. He even speaks it to Satan that you know better. Don't tempt the Lord your God. He leans into those. And I love because here's what he's doing. He's setting us up to be the model for us. The Hebrew writer writes in Hebrews 2, he says, Since he, Jesus, himself has gone through not just suffering but temptation, he is able to help us when we are tempted. See, God provides to everyone who asks. So here's what I want you to do with this first one. In that moment today when something comes and you know what's to follow, you know that if you take one more step, you look one more moment long, you do something, I want you to boldly, without hesitation, to stop and say, help God. You take the lead. Take the lead in this moment. Another thing that kind of pops out for me in this process of dealing with, intimidate, or, uh, with temptation is this, refuse to live intimidated. 
I want you to make that first step that, God, you are taking the lead. I'm going to ask you for help. But the second step is, Satan, you don't get to intimidate me today. I want you to step into that, that, that moment every day where you stand up right out of the bed and say, Satan, not today. I am not afraid of you today. You do not get to bully me today. You do not get to win today, Satan. I am not scared of you. Paul talks about this in Ephesians. He says in Ephesians 6, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I love this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against Satan's schemes. Now let me tell you a little bit about Satan's schemes. Satan's schemes are subtle, but they're effective. And when I tell you not to be intimidated, let me walk you through, and you're going to be able to relate to all of these, or at least one of these. Here's what Satan's going to do. First of all, he's going to alarm you. It's that moment where you're going to go, I'm shook up. How could I even think such a thing? Like you're walking down that road, getting inch and inch closer. Temptation's moving to almost reality. And then you have that moment where you go, oh, what in the world's going on? How... How could I even think? The, and you, you're alarmed. Like, am I, am I not a good Christian? Am I, do I need to go to church more? Do I need to find a church that has Sunday night church? Like, what do I need to do? Like, I, I'm alarmed. I'm shook. And then he'll do this. He'll move us to a place of frustration. He'll alarm us, then he'll frustrate us. And this is where these kinds of things. I keep falling in the same area. Man, I do well Monday through Friday, and I get to Saturday, and it's just like, I know it's coming. God, why do I keep getting tripped up at the same area with the same stuff in the same way? I know better. And we become frustrated, and we get to this place where we, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't even try. Maybe I should just kind of mail it in. And then he moves us a step deeper. See, he alarms us where we go, how could I even do such a thing? To frustrating us, to why do I keep falling in the same areas? And then he's just going to discourage us. I'm never going to be able to change. (laughs) It's just who I am. And I want you to know that all of these things are intimidating things. They're meant to intimidate us. They're they're those things that Satan says, listen, I'm going to be really subtle, but I'll get them to a place where they think they can't win. We aren't good enough. You aren't strong enough. And here's what I've noticed in my own life, maybe you can relate, that sometimes even those things come in the moments that I'm trying to do the first thing. Man, I'm I'm praying about God taking the lead in my life, and I don't know about you, but my mind will go somewhere very quickly, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where did that come from? Man, that's so far out of left field. I'm trying to get holy. I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to step into something here, God. And Satan will even use those moments where we're trying to do what it is that Jesus directs us to do, and and it comes out of left field, and you go, I don't know, man, maybe I'm not even Christian. Guilt and shame begins to run through my thoughts. Can I just let you in on something, especially if you're a newer Christian? If you're a newer believer, a newer follower, if you're kind of beginning to explore, maybe it's been a short time since you've kind of given life to Jesus, let me just tell you, I'm going to let you in on a secret. It doesn't go away. In fact, I would tell you that the more you grow, the more this grows. I'm going to tell you that the closer you get to the Lord, the more Satan's going to hone in on you. But your faith grows too. And your discernment's going to grow and your courage is going to grow. 
And you're going to begin to realize that even though these things continue to press on me, even more than when I was a follower of Jesus, now they're even bigger. Man, they're even more tempting. They're more enticing. I'm going to tell you that God gets bigger too. That your view of God is going to expand. And you don't have to feel guilty. See, it's not being tempted. It's what you do with it that begins to make the difference. Notice the terminology Paul uses here. He says, listen, be strong in his mighty power. Put on the full armor. Take a stand. Why? Because the Christian life's a battle. And so if you think, just, hey, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and all this stuff's going to go away. No, he says, no, you're going to need full armor now. (laughs) You're going to need his mighty power. You're going to need to stand strong. See, all throughout text, you see that the Christian walk, it, it uses words like battle and fight and conquer and overcome and victory. Because it's just that. Satan wants you to feel guilty for just being tempted, and so he's going he's to try to make you feel guilty even before he tempts you. He wants to intimidate you, so wake up and say, not today, not today, Satan. And then there's moments where you're going to need to take action. I told you it's a partnership. God's going to do his thing. You're going to call out. You're going to let him take the lead, and you're going you're to have these moments where you can go to him and help, and then there's going to be moments where God says, okay, it's your turn to take a step. It's your turn to put this into action. Here it is. There are going to be moments where you just simply have to learn how, create habits to refocus your attention. See, you have to choose to put something different on your mind. You have to change your mind, and here's why. That holy living starts with holy thinking. Holy living starts with holy thinking. Proverbs 4, the author there says this. He says, be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful how you think because your life is shaped by your thoughts. James gives us the flow later on. This guy named James writes a letter. and Listen to what he says. He says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Here it is. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. They are enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it is in full-grown mode, gives way to death. Here's what James says. Temptation begins with a thought. And that thought will either birth sin, that brings death, Or you can shun away from that. You can think away. He says, listen, holy living starts with holy thinking. So the question is, is in these moments, how long are you going to let it hang out? Are you going to let it move in, unpack its stuff? Or are you just going to say, uh-uh, I'm going to refocus. I'm going to do something different. I'm I'm going to understand that the battle begins in my mind. I also understand that my actions come from my attention and what I give it to too long. The more you think about something, the stronger it has a hold on you. James says, listen, evil starts with evil thoughts. And so here's the key. He says there are going to be moments you're just going to need to think about something else. There are going to be moments that you've got to get up and change the channel. There are going to be moments that you need to shift your thoughts. There may be moments where you've got to look away. There may be moments you've got to walk away. There may be moments that you've got to cool down and shut it down. That I've got to refocus my attention. I'm not going to let it gain any more ground because here's what I know. Whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever gets your attention gets you. So Paul says, let me encourage you with something. He's writing to these people in Philippi and he says, now brothers and sisters, 
He says, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Refocusing your attention may be exactly what it requires this afternoon to sidestep temptation. I got one more. We got time? It's a big one. I want you to lean into community. I want you to have that moment where you go, okay, God, take the lead. I need help. I want you to live into that moment where you, you say, okay, Satan, I'm not intimidated by you. Therefore, I've got to take an action. I'm going to refocus my attention. I'm going to change the channel, change whatever it is that needs to be changed in order for me to survive, to overcome this. And then I'm going to lean into community. I want you to find somebody in your life that you can talk to. I'm not saying reveal it to everybody. I'm not saying go home and make an Instagram post about it or a, a Facebook post about it and let everybody know your business. I'm talking about having that moment that you can have one person that you can share your heart with. Guys, we live in a filtered world. What I mean by that is we filter all of our pictures because we want things to look better than they actually are. Who is it that you can go home to and live unfiltered? That moment where you go, listen, I'm going to take the filter off. You know, the old-time filter, you know, makes all this thing, these things. Look. Can I just unfilter for a minute? I got some things that they become struggle because I give in way too much. Now, I've got some habits because I didn't do some things that I needed to do in order to safeguard me stepping into temptation more often than I like. So can you help me? Oh, I'm going to let God take the lead, but I'm going to need somebody to kind of walk with me. Ecclesiastes says this, that two are better than one. Because together, if one falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone's alone and falls down, there's no one there to help him. And guys, I can't tell you what this has meant to me in my personal life. I had something that I'm not going to disclose completely. But I had something happen to me that when I was a kid that I just kind of put away. I tucked it away, and I didn't deal with it. And, and as a result of that, it grew into some habits. It grew into some things that, quite honestly, I, 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 I didn't know was inappropriate. And I began to crave. And, and here was the problem with it is I drug that into every single relationship I had. Drug it into my marriage. And it wasn't until that moment that I found safety, I found someone that I could trust, and I spoke those things that I began to heal. Guys, I know that this is scary, but it's biblical. You're going to need each other in these moments. That I believe that when you can somehow say this, not broadcast it, but when you can begin to speak those things in an environment that is, is Christ-focused, that is loving, that is safe, I believe that healing begins to happen. And here's the thing, you need other people. And other people need you. You have to have that person in life where you can be gut-level honest with and be completely unfiltered with. See, the truth is, is that Satan has taken this and made one big lie about it. He says this, that hiding it leads to acceptance. That if you'll hide it, they'll continue to love you. If you hide it good enough, they'll continue to let you be a part of that church and that house group. And, and here's the thing, that hiding it only intensifies it. 
Hiding it only makes it worse. See, when you stuff it back in the closet and say, whew, I don't want anybody to ever find out about that, that's when it becomes a bigger problem because here's what it does. It will grind away and eat away, but it's never going to go away. James 5 says this. He says, confess to one another. Not stand up here and let your church know. Don't put it all over. He says, find that one another. And he says, confess and pray for each other. And I love this. He says, so that you can be healed. Healing is directly connected to praying and confessing. It's that moment where you say, can I take you to lunch? I got some things in my life that are dark, that aren't good, that I give way to. And here's the thing. I want you to be healed. I want to be healed. I want you to have victory. See, Satan wants you to think that you're the only one that knows anything about what it is that you're dealing with. Your temptations are unique. Nobody will understand. You're all by yourself in the struggle. You let it out. You're going to be unlovable. And so I want you to look yourself in the mirror and say, no, I'm not alone. You are not alone. Lean into community. See, guys, we were not only created for community, we thrive in community. And that community will start with you and another person. And it will bridge out into a group. And it will begin to, to show itself and manifest itself in a body of people that embrace our imperfections, but also know that God is authoring something different. Guys, this is so liberating. When you can have that moment of honesty and transparency, because here's what you'll find. You'll begin to find other people who will say, I had no idea that other people dealt with that too. See, chances are when you take that step of courage to go, here's what I'm dealing with, chances are they're going to look back at you and go, whew, that's a relief. Because let me tell you what I'm dealing with too. And I thought I was the only one. So as we land this, I want you to hear something, that having temptation doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you human. Don't be intimidated. Temptation's going to come. It's probably already been there, even in the last few minutes. It was here on the right end. It'll be uh, waiting on you in the parking lot. But you have a choice. You can accept it and go over it and over it and over it again in your mind until finally it breaks you and you step into it. Or you can reject it, refocus, and say, God, I need you to take the lead. Stand with me. I just want to ask you as we leave and as we close this series, and we're going to start a new series next week, I just want to ask you what I ask you every week, and that is this, what is your next step? What's your next step in claiming him as father and understanding that he, regardless of what you dealt with in your personal life with your earthly father, your earthly parent, a godfather, that he is the father that is to be trusted? What's your next step in making his name great? What's your next step in claiming him as king and living into his kingdom, meaning that I'm going to live into his will? What's your next step when it comes to dependency? Are you going to say, you know what, I'm going to pray like everything depends on him? What's your next step in forgiveness? One, you receiving forgiveness and understanding that whatever it is you came in here with this morning, whatever you did last night, whatever it is that haunts you, it's not too big for God to wash it away, to do away. And then, what's your next step when it comes to reconciliation of a relationship that maybe has, has gone so far that you think it's irreparable.
God, as you forgive me, I want to outflow that. What's your next step when it comes to avoiding that which can be destructive that's going to leave you in a place that, that is going to be way farther than you want to go and you're not going to know how to get back to? What's your next step in those things? We as a church, we love helping people find their next step. And my next step is not your next step. And so we believe that God tailor makes, that he uniquely writes your story. So step into that. Ask those questions. We have a team of people that stand back at this red banner and they wear red lanyards because they are trustworthy. They've been vetted. These are the people that I call. Go back there and ask that question. Write it on a card and say, hey, I, I, how do I step into this? How do, I, how do I step out of this? But we want you to begin to ponder what is that next step. And so I pray that this week is filled with next steps and first steps. I want us to pray this together as we close this down. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one.